Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. And my co-host this hour is ABC 57's Allison Hayes, and we welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. It is eight minutes after five o'clock on this Tuesday, January the 9th of 2024. Sports Beat is on the air until seven o'clock tonight. We've got college basketball coming your way at 8.30 with pregame coverage of Notre Dame at Georgia Tech. Opening tip is set for 9 o'clock. Great to have you on board. We really appreciate your time as we're kind of the day after the college football season ends crew. It's always a sad day when college football comes to a close. We know we've got a long wait until August 31st when... Riley Leonard and the Fighting Irish take the field against Texas A&M in College Station. I guess we do have spring football a month and a half away. Although, I don't know if you saw, but we did get a notification from Notre Dame that January 24th and January 31st and sometime in February, we get a bunch of access to the early enrollees. So that'll be interesting. That's a good sign. In fact, one of the individuals we'll be talking to is a young man by the name of Jaden Harrison who was a wide receiver and kickoff return man at Vanderbilt and then Marshall. Well, today he decided to come to the University of Notre Dame, another transfer portal pickup for the Fighting Irish. Some people believe he's an elite kickoff return man, three kickoff touchdowns in his career. He's also 63 receptions for 768 yards and four touchdowns in his career so far. He played against the Irish in 2022 and had three receptions for 38 yards in Marshall's stunning victory 
over the Fighting Irish at Notre Dame Stadium. I'm really curious to see, is this more about Harrison adding a kickoff return dimension to this football team? A guy that could be a game breaker on kickoff returns? Is he going to have a a role at wide receiver? He's never been a a big-time wide receiver at Vandy and Marshall, so... I'm really wondering, is this a guy that truly could be in the mix? I mean, they got Chris Mitchell from Florida International, Bo Collins from Clemson. You still got Faison and Great House and Jaden Thomas from last year's team. So I'm really wondering, is he going to fit in as a wide receiver? But it never hurts to have a guy that can change the game on special teams. I think about the Bills-Dolphins game the other night. The Bills were in big trouble down in Miami, down 14-7 in the second half. And a punt return for a touchdown absolutely changed that game, and they walked away with a victory. But I'm just thinking Harrison, at the very least, could be a great addition to special teams. Nothing more exciting than a return for a touchdown like that. I mean, man, a game changer, momentum changer, so exciting to watch. But, yeah, his numbers at receiver are not overwhelming uh, for career touchdowns and the his performance against Notre Dame, the three catches for 38 yards, was his best performance against any Power Five school that he's ever faced. So, that's not too intriguing. But the idea of having someone who can be a game changer or at least a threat in the return game now that is something you can get a little bit excited about. Forward thinking, have my best game against a team I might go to two years down the line, right? <laughs> right. So, Jaden Harrison jumps out of the portal and joins the Fighting Irish. I'm going to label him as a kickoff return guy, added depth at wide receiver, started at Vanderbilt, then went to Marshall, and now a member of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Well, coming up on the program this evening, we are going to talk about last night's title game. What can Notre Dame learn from what Michigan accomplished this year? Former Notre Dame and Michigan coach Bob Kamel is going to join us at the bottom of the hour to talk about his old employer, Michigan, winning the national championship. And he has been close with Jim Harbaugh through the years. So we'll talk to Coach Kamel at the bottom of the hour. We have our Twitter question of the day. I'll preview Notre Dame, Georgia Tech in college basketball in the 6 o'clock hour. Look at the NFC playoffs and some sports wagering conversation at the end of the 6 o'clock hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you. Let's start with our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. And the Michigan Wolverines are national champions as they rolled by Washington last night, 34-13. A 17-10 game at halftime, and Washington had the football coming out of the locker room. You thought, well, it might be a game. This isn't a blowout yet. Maybe there's a chance, but an interception to start the second half set a weird tone and Michigan ended up walking away with the victory. I was fascinated early on. We all talked about Blake Corum. He's going to have this big game. And good old Donovan Edwards, who had not scored since the Penn State game, had the 41-yard touchdown run on the opening drive of the game to put Michigan up 7-0 after a Husky field goal. He scored again from 46 yards out, 14-3 Michigan. With 2.23 to go in the first, and I got to give credit to the Michigan coaching staff. 
they gave Washington some different looks, and it took a little while for the Huskies to adjust on defense. They went unbalanced offensive line, six offensive linemen. The Huskies did not have the run fit. And Michigan, in the first quarter, averaged 19 yards per carry. And I'll tell you what, Allison, at that point, it felt like this game was over. And I, and I said this on Twitter, and I did not mean to bring up old feelings. <laughs> Salt in the wound. Yeah, but I just remember sitting next to my good friend, former Irish quarterback Evan Sharpley, down in Miami for the 2012 title game between Notre Dame and Alabama. Alabama went right down the field. It was dominating, put seven on the board. And famously, Evan looked at me and said, well, this was fun. Because he knew, and we all knew, it was going to be a long night. It was over. And I thought it was going to be the same thing last night. I guess at the end of the day, they ended up pulling away. But after that first quarter, I'm thinking, what else is going to be on TV to watch? It was demoralizing, for sure. And it took all the wind out of the sails. And and it did feel like, oh my gosh, this game is over before it even started. But they hung in there. They came back. They made it a game there right at halftime. But then Will Johnson, he ended up winning defensive MVP for that game-changing yeah. interception there to start the third quarter. And uh, kudos to that defense. Wow, what a performance. I, the, the tackles those guys were making were incredible. And everyone just seemed so fast for Michigan. And that's, you know, I grew up here in this area. I've watched Michigan Notre Dame my whole life. And that's always been sort of a knock, I feel like, on these up-north teams is that we don't have the speed. Big Ten slow. Yes, to, to compare to the SEC and everywhere else. And, I mean, Michigan looked so fast last night. It was, I mean, it was fun to watch, especially, I mean, I know a lot of Wolverine fans in this area, and they were loving life last night. I got to admit, I've been a Big Ten guy my whole life growing up in Illinois. I would never root for Michigan, but I do have to say, it feels pretty good for Big Ten fans to stick out their chest. They don't have to hear any garbage from the South, at least for 364 days. The Big Ten is a national champion in college football once again, which also I think Michigan winning is good for Notre Dame, which we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Two key sequences in the first half, down 17-3. to Washington had fourth down Ugh. and panics who has been so accurate this year, missed a wide-open wide receiver, probably would have been a touchdown to make it 17-10, but he overshot him and a missed opportunity. Then Michigan went for it on fourth down and three and plus territory. They did not complete the pass. Washington took advantage of that, marched right down the field. Penix to Jalen McMillan from three yards out, 42 seconds to go in the first half. Now you're thinking it's 17-10 Michigan going to halftime and the Huskies get the football to start the second half. So a major opportunity for the Pac-12 champions to get absolutely back in the game and just snatch momentum away from Michigan. But what happens? The Huskies throw a pick on the first play of the second half. Michigan adds a field goal to go up 20-10 and then Blake Corum pretty much takes the life out of Washington with a 12-yard touchdown run, and the Wolverines went up 27-13. For Washington to win the game, Allison Penix had to be Michael Penix, the guy that supposedly was robbed of the Heisman Trophy. 
We didn't see him at his best last night. No, and that's why I always say I, I, I feel like the Heisman and all of those postseason awards should wait until after the bowl games. But nowadays, you know, we'll never see bowl games like we used to. But your best player needs to play his best in the biggest game. And that was the biggest disappointment for me. I love Michael Penix. I, I his passes have been so beautiful and so accurate and so deep yeah. all season. And for him, I mean, he just was off. And, and that's a credit to that Michigan defense and, and the game plan that they had. He was not comfortable. And as cool as a cucumber as he always is, and he still looked the part. You know, I mean, he's, to his credit, I, I love that. I mean, he is so cool and calm. But he just could not find that rhythm and, and couldn't get, get himself going like we have been used to seeing all season. He looked pretty banged up after the game. Ooh, yeah. Did you see he had one of his linemen fall on his ankle yeah. on one of those picks? And that was brutal. Yeah, rough night for Penix and that Husky offense. I just didn't see a storyline in which they only scored 13 points in this game. I referenced last night what Eric Hansen from InsideIndieSports.com told me the other day. Statistically, maybe not in reality, but statistically, UNLV was the best offense Michigan faced. Hmm. They faced a lot of weak offenses, mainly out of the Big Ten. Big Ten. But... Hey, they shut down Washington. Full credit to that defense. They were on point all night long. And as you mentioned, they tackled extremely well throughout the football game. And Michael Penix ended up 27 of 51 for 255 yards, a touchdown and two picks. No rushing attack for Washington. 20 carries for 46 yards, while Michigan looked like the Wolverines from the 80s, except in the shotgun. 38 rushes. For 303 yards and four touchdowns, Blake Corum, 21 for 134, two touchdowns, and Donovan Edwards, who sparked the offense early, six carries for 104 and two touchdowns, and Jim Harbaugh has returned to Ann Arbor and achieved what he wanted to do, bring the Wolverine program back. Some will question how he did it. The record books will show they are 2023 national champions. And I've said this many times. This is a great football team. They did not need all the baggage and garbage that Harbaugh and his coaching staff did throughout the year in the past couple of years. They were good enough on their own to win this. I'm not one to put asterisk on things, but Michigan did this to themselves. Yes for people to speculate whether they deserve to win the title or not. Well, no doubt about it. They deserved it last night. And in the game that mattered the most, they pulled it out and, and really just looked so good. They looked like the best team in college football. So hats off to them. And that 303 yards rushing, uh, that was the most rushing yards by any team in the BCS or CFP wow. National Championship game. Wow. Yeah. didn't realize that. Well, that offensive line was on point last night. And like I said, Washington had troubles in the first quarter. Then they got a little better as the game went on. But Michigan had the knockout punches. And as you mentioned, that interception really sealed the deal. And it was 34-13 Michigan over Washington, which leads us to our second opening topic for tonight. If you could take one part of the Michigan and Washington team and transport it onto the Notre Dame football program, what would you choose? And this is wide open. You could steal a coach, 
a style of play, one player, an entire unit. You can do whatever you want with this particular answer. So we'll start with this. If you could take one part of the Michigan football team and install it into the Fighting Irish in 2024, what would you choose? I'm going to go with the run Michigan's run game and specifically Blake Corum. I, I just not just on his stats, but his pure leadership. And he had me at hello during his post-game press conference at Penn State when he, he, is, he had that cut across his nose, blood pouring down his face. I mean, I just – he he was the quintessential running back, like rugged, tough guy, tough-nosed guy. I just loved it. And, you know, he missed the end of the 2022 season, and he vowed to come back with a bunch of those guys and said they were going to do it, and, and he did it. And two, 1,245 yards rushing, 27 touchdowns this season, broke Michigan's single-season rushing touchdown record. And But really, it was just that overall leadership that you could see from him on and off the field. He was a guy, I mean, I'd love to see him, although he's pretty small, but I would love to see him in a Bears uniform. That that looked pretty good to me. Absolutely. You know, the one thing I would take from the Michigan football team and bring it to the Notre Dame football program was Michigan's ability last night against the Joe Moore award-winning Washington offensive line to be able to only rush four and drop seven into pass coverage and cause all kinds of havoc on Michael Penix. Heck yeah. That slowed down Washington's passing attack. The front four getting pressure on him. Extra bodies in protection. I think it took care of some of the openings that Penix is used to. Not many teams can rush four and control a football game. Michigan did it last night, and the defensive line coach is an old friend, Mike Elston. Congratulations to Mike, former Irish defensive line coach. Oh, on a side note on that, if you don't mind me no, interjecting, um, I saw Beth Elston, Mike's wife. She had a great post on Facebook, of course. I, uh, they're a wonderful family, and she has all these pictures of them celebrating the championship. And guess who's in the stands watching the game with Beth and the three daughters? Kurt Heinisch. No kidding. Former Notre Dame defensive lineman. He is a part of their family, and he was there wow. to support. And I thought that was really cool. I shared that on social media today. I just thought that was really cool. So uh, shout out to the Elstons and really happy for them uh, to get that done. But I thought it was really cool. I think that says a lot about just the relationship that Mike had when he was a coach here at Notre Dame. Was a great recruiter and developer on the defensive line for Notre Dame. I think he misplayed his hand when he became the defensive coordinator for the bowl game against Oklahoma State. Remember his speech about South Bend's my home and yes. I want to stay here. He kind of put pressure on Freeman there, I thought, and it kind of backfired because the bowl game defensively was an absolute disaster against Oklahoma State. But as a defensive line coach and recruiter, he is as good as it gets. So I would love to have the ability for Notre Dame to rush four, drop seven in key situations like that. They were able to get pressure on the quarterback this year a lot with blitzes, but to have a front four that can do that, I would take that in a minute. What about Washington? Anything you would take from them? I know he did not play his best game, but I would still take Michael Penix Jr. all day, every day. To have that type of quarterback at Notre Dame, we haven't seen that in years, ever. I mean, even Brady Quinn was great, but I mean, that kind of accuracy and depth, the deep ball that he's able to throw, and I don't know, 
wouldn't mind taking those three receivers they've got, too. But uh, Penix, his numbers, 13,741 career yards, 96 career touchdowns, 63% accuracy. But I, I saw somewhere he's at like 54% on throws of 30 yards or more. So I just I really just loved Michael Penix. I loved his personality and, and the cool and calmness that he demonstrated. Uh, so that, that's who I'd go with, even though I know he didn't have his big game. And I just said, you got to have your best game in the biggest games, but whatever. <laughs> if I can take something from Washington, you touched on it. I'm going to take the Washington wide receivers, yeah. Dunsey and Polk. Dunsey may be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, and Polk just announced today he's going to the NFL draft. I'd take both of those guys, difference makers at wide receiver. That's something Notre Dame has been trying to achieve, and they're hoping that they have accomplished that by how they have recruited the last couple of cycles. All right, really quick since we're short on time. I've got three things for you to choose from. Which is the more weirder decision? (laughs) Number one, Michigan basketball coach Juwan Howard letting Phil Martelli be the Wolverine head coach against Penn State when they played at the Palestra over the weekend. Number two, Saints quarterback Jameis Winston overruling New Orleans coaches and running a play from the one-yard line, resulting in a touchdown on the final play of the game against Atlanta, a game that the Saints won 48-17. Or third, Nike and Tiger Woods ending their 27-year relationship. We don't have time to get into all three of these weird things. Um, it's not surprising to me, honestly, that Nike and Tiger are parting. It's he, Tiger's not Tiger anymore, and he's not going to be at that level moving forward. He hasn't been in about 15 years. So I love Tiger. I love what he did for the game, and, and him and Nike together were amazing. But I understand. I hear also that Nike's wanting to get out of the golf game. So that's interesting to me, and they're just looking to cut some uh, some money. Uh, I do not like Jameis Winston. I've never liked Jameis Winston. I don't like what he did at Florida State on and especially off the field. Um, so I'm not surprised that he would do something like that. Um, but I, I think probably I guess the weirder thing, which I think it was a wonderful gesture for Juwan Howard to let Phil Martelli coach the team in his hometown against his son, who was an assistant at Penn State. Um, and, of course, you know, he – coached at St. Joseph's forever so uh, I I don't think that that was necessarily terribly weird but it was probably just not the right move it was not the right call they lost that game and and they're um that's their fourth game now I think straight it losing in the Big Ten so just not a good decision overall I'm with you Howard crushed a great culture program under Bayline and has absolutely destroyed the Michigan culture. It is a program in disarray, and it just looks weird when the team is playing bad and things look bad to not be a head coach for a day. It just seems like a cop-out. Very, very strange. Michigan might be filling two coaching positions in Ann Arbor in the next few months. Harbaugh to the NFL, and Howard might be adios. All right, Allison Hayes from ABC 57. I'm Darren Pritchett. We'll talk to former Michigan and Notre Dame coach Bob Kamel about the Wolverines winning the title coming up next as Sportsbeat continues on WSBT. Three on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. My co-host this hour is ABC 57's Allison Hayes and my next guest... He's got a pretty good resume. He was an assistant coach under Bo Schembechler with the Michigan Wolverines. 
He was a recruiting coordinator and assistant coach for Lou Holtz at the University of Notre Dame, and just as important, a former co-host of mine on weekday sports people. Okay, maybe not as important, but it's great to have Bob Kamel back on the program to talk a little bit about what we all witnessed last night, his former employer, Michigan, beating Washington 34-13 to win the national championship. Coach, it's good to hear from you. How are you today? I'm doing very well, and it's good to hear from you. And it's great, uh, great uh, to know that Allison's always on is on the show, and I uh, absolutely respect her work uh, on TV and on the radio. She's a very special talent. Well, yes, thank indeed. you, Bob. I appreciate that. We got to work together back in like 2004 for a couple of episodes that Derek Mays had a show that he put produced here oh, wow. locally. So yeah, Bob and I got to work together and uh, my stint was short lived because my people at Fox 28 said no way, but <laughs> <laughs> I made a great connection. <laughs> well, coach, I, I got to tell you, Michigan going for over 300 rushing yards last night. I know it's not the old days of three yards and a cloud of dust, the 1980s in the Big Ten, because Michigan runs out of the shotgun. But I got to tell you, I was thinking about Bo Schembechler last night, how proud he must be of his old quarterback and the way he reestablished the glory back into that Michigan program and did it with good old smash mouth football. Well, I think one of the things with, with Jim and, uh, and his staff uh, was continuity. I mean, he's been there a while. He's had some ups and downs. If you remember during COVID, I think he won two games. But he's blessed with an outstanding athletic director. Ward Manuel is, uh, they were teammates at Michigan. And uh, Ward is really, you know, giving Jim the opportunity to develop the program. It's been, I believe it's been eight years right now. Let me say something, though, if you don't mind, before we get started, please. Yeah. For all my Notre Dame fans, if Notre Dame was playing yesterday, I'd be rooting like all heck for Notre Dame. If Northern Illinois was playing yesterday, I'd be rooting for them. If Northwestern was, retru- was playing yesterday, I'd be uh, rooting for them. There were my four stops along the coaching. And, you know, what happens in this profession, you know, you root for people. So, you know, my, my love for Michigan and my love for Notre Dame, uh, you know, let's not take anything I say today as, as uh, being um, – disrespectful uh, to Notre Dame or what Notre Dame's done, because anybody that knows me would know that's not the truth. A long time ago, a coach that I loved, um, my first year actually in college football, said, Bob, make sure they know how much you love them love them before they ask how much you know. And that's been my mantra. So when I th- take a, uh, think of teams that, uh, that I root for, I root for people also, guys that played for me. And I said I have three daughters and hundreds of sons. Oh, I love that. Well, just a little caveat before, because I don't want to upset anybody. I love it here. He doesn't want to go to the exercise room in here. Oh, listen, you're talking about Michigan. So we get it. No, we get it. That's one of the employers. No, no. But Jim's done a great job. And and, uh, I don't know. You know, everybody asks, is he going to stay at Michigan? Is he not going to stay at Michigan? Only one person knows that, and that's Jim. If he does leave uh, by some chance, I I really hope they hire Sharon Moore. I I really, really do, because I thought he did a good job. Uh, while Jim was in the penalty box. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it, that's for sure. Uh, Coach, I was just mentioning a moment ago, if I could take one thing from the Michigan team and install it into Notre Dame next year, was Michigan's ability with a four-man rush to cause havoc on Penix Put pressure on him, allowing the defense to drop seven to, you know, take away some of those throwing lanes. 
I mean, Coach, being able to rush four is such an advantage, and Al Golden did a magnificent job of blitzing to get pressure on the quarterback, but, I mean, you know, if you can just rush four, how much of an advantage that is for the defense. Well, one thing, uh, young mentor, the defensive coordinator, they rushed four, but they didn't always rush them from the same position, the uh, same alignment, I should say. And uh, one of the things that I was really shocked at when they put a man in, in uh, head up on the nose, that that young man, number 52, he got run over a couple of times. And, you know, and then they moved him to a, a three technique or a, a five technique, whatever it was. So they moved it around a little bit, but they were ruthless. They were really, really ruthless. But, you know, uh, Jim hired a gentleman by the name of Ben Herbert, uh, I think it was in 2018, as a strength and conditioning coach. And I think he's made a huge, huge difference. He's had uh, – uh, since he's been there, 37 future draft pro- prospects. And as strong as the defensive line is, the offensive line is also taking their game to another level with great technique, but, yes, uh, better strength than they've had in, you know, in the past. You know Jim Harbaugh very, very well. Of course, yes, you worked in the office next to Bo Schembechler. What type of relationship did those two guys have? And is there a little Bo and Jim now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a little bit of Bo and Jim. I, I was really surprised. I thought that he Jim might say a little more about Bo, but um, he didn't. I don't think it was disrespectful. And remember, Jim's dad, Jack, worked for Bo. He was our uh, secondary coach. I think the one thing that any coach who works over uh, under an iconic head football coach, whether it's Bo or, you know, uh, whether it's Woody or, you know, uh, whether it's Coach Holtz or Era. Um, is to not try to emulate your boss. It doesn't work. You can take the good things of that individual, but you are a, a personality of your own. And if you try to imitate your boss, the boss's success, it's just not going to work. I've seen it time and again. So Jim did take a lot. I think what happened with Jim, and I think I was on the show, it was not too long ago when he changed his offense. And I mentioned to you, I said, I think he uh, – uh, sat down in Bo's desk and, whoa, what's this, a playbook? Let me check it out. Because that's when he started to play more of a, a running game in that. But um, Jim Jim has some excellent assistant coaches. Uh, the other thing that I think was critical to this football team is continuity at the quarterback position. They recruited a quarterback uh, from the Chicago Catholic League, J.J., they brought him here to Michigan. He sat for a while. They developed him. They didn't bring in a portal quarterback. And my goal, dream uh, for Marcus, who I love to death, is to, you know, one day soon, maybe it's Carr. I don't know who it is. Or maybe it's Angeli. And to have that type of continuity and bring a quarterback along and not have to use the portal to get a quarterback. Because um, there's so much involved with bringing a guy in from the outside, chemistry in the locker room. Uh, you know, you could come here and spend eight or nine months here and say you're a Notre Dame person. That, that doesn't sit with me. It takes a while to learn the, the brilliant culture and the nuances of Notre Dame, and you can't do it in nine months. And, and, and the locker room, to get to know all your guys, and they are looking to you. As a, as a guy that came in with them and all of a sudden you're emerging as a leader and all not rather than somebody just walking in the door and saying, well, you know, he, he's going to be our quarterback. And so I, I, that's my, that's my real dream for Marcus. And I think he'll do that after a while. And I think he's got the right uh, pieces in place right now. 
but it's been a while since they've rec- – I don't even remember the last time they brought in a, a really great high school quarterback and nurtured him and developed him uh, without having to go to Cone or without having to go to Hartman or anything like that. And I think that's one of the things that I give Jim and his staff a lot of credit for. I think that's a really good point that you're touching on there, too. And uh, to, to have that opportunity to develop, we've not seen that at Notre Dame in so long. And um, just to see if that's the direction that this program can get to or if it's now changed and that it's not going to be that way, really, for many programs moving forward. Uh, off air, Darren and I were talking about, you know, are you investing your NIL money in an unproven high school quarterback or are you investing that money in a guy that's going to come in who is already prepared, is got, does have that experience? But it just kind of to piggyback off of that, it's funny uh, when you talk about Sam Hartman and you know him feeling like a Notre Dame guy after nine months, his, co- his coach at Wake Forest had that weird press conference where he's <laughs> like, you know, they just got to flirt around and, and date him. We, we were married to him for four or five years we had him and so he kind of felt that on the opposite end of it like you know he's not a Notre Dame quarterback he's a Wake Forest quarterback you guys are just borrowing him for a season <laughs> well it takes it takes a time it takes a while to earn the honor of being quote-unquote a teammate it takes longer even to have the honor of being saying you're not only a teammate you're a leader and I think when you look uh, look at JJ and by the way JJ really wanted to come to Notre Dame. Oh, yes. I, I think you've probably heard that story. And I think maybe Notre Dame took Buckner that year. But J.J., you know, and I, I, I shouldn't listen to too, much, too many things, and I shouldn't look on the Internet for too many things. But, you know, I heard today that J.J., uh, I read on the Internet that J.J. was uh, considered an average quarterback. Are you kidding me? An average quarterback? I, I can't believe that. And here's the other message I have. Root for your team. Don't root <laughs> against the team to lose, okay? I have no use for that. You know, Michigan won because they were holding. The game was irrelevant. Come on. Take that energy, that negative energy, and put it into loving and rooting for Notre Dame. That's what you need to do. Don't be negative. You have a, a, a gift if you're a Notre Dame fan, embrace that gift and don't let anything distract you from that with the exception of rooting and loving Notre Dame, our coach, our players, and everybody else. And Coach Kamel, just to build on that thought, Michigan winning the title to me is a really good sign for the Fighting Irish because Marcus Freeman, when he took over as head coach, he said, I want this program to be built around offensive line and defensive line. And Coach... Michigan last night, they won a championship, and what were they built around? Offensive line and defensive line dominance. So it shows you can win championships that way. You don't need Joe Burrow throwing 50 touchdown passes like he did at LSU. Now, it's nice. I'll take it. But building in the trenches, Coach, that's where champions are built. Who is the defensive line coach for Michigan? Mr. Elston. Mike Elston. Mike Elston, a long time ago, I recruited this starry-eyed, oh, I love eighteen-year-old, starry-eyed, eighteen-year-old guy from St. Mary Lake, Ohio, and he came to Michigan, and he was a constant, a consummate, uh, what Bo would refer to as a program guy. He wasn't going to go to the league, probably not going to be an All-American, but every single day he came and he played hard and he worked hard and he was tough and he was a great teammate. 
And you could see that in the guys that he's coached. I think maybe even Saban may have complimented him. Mike Elston is a wonderful man. He's a great dad, uh, a great husband, and, and, and uh, I love Mike to death. And it was an honor for me to be able to uh, have recruited him. And, and you know, when, uh, you know, when he got to Schembechler Hall, I hope Harbaugh said, welcome home. And yeah. when he took that, decided to leave here and take that job there, uh, I actually called him. I said, Mike, I said, you know what? You're going home. Enjoy it. But he's done a marvelous job, and, I, and my hat is off to him. Coach Camel, speaking of coming home, I have anointed myself as the leader of the Mike Denbrock fan club. I've always been a fan <laughs> of Coach Denbrock, and I am over the hills excited for what happened. Uh, no disrespect to anybody else, but to go from one coordinator to this experienced guy was quite the coup for Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish. I know you know Mike Denbrock very, very well, and this is a guy that, embraces and loves the University of Notre Dame and with his expertise on offense. Denbrock Golden, Coach, that's a pretty good presidential president, vice president T-shirt that we need to start, you know, selling. That is one heck of a combination. Well, a couple of things. First of all, the chance to coach on this staff with Marcus Freeman, I'd run there from home. And Mike uh, obviously has that type of relationship with Marcus, and he's seeing something that's developing and he wants to be a part of it. But let me just say this about a Mike, okay? You know, I, I do sports marketing for uh, South Bend Orthopedics. And we do a, a coaching clinic, um, a free coaching clinic for the local high school coaches in uh, February, March, April, and May. And I had run into Mike and I was talking to him and I had mentioned that to him. And I also had mentioned it to him that I've never had a Notre Dame coach come. And he said, when's the next uh, meeting? And I told him the date, and he said, what time do I need to be there? Mm-hmm. That's what Mike Denbrock's all about. I mean, it's not some maybe high-flying clinic someplace. This is a bunch of great, great people in this area. Uh, all these coaches here, Region 2, they're fabulous. And, and Mike looked them as, as hometown guys. And he came, and I will tell you, when we put the word out that Mike was coming, there wasn't, there wasn't an empty seat in the place. He's a fabulous human awesome. being. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I've got one more question for you, and it's the hardest, hard-hitting question I'm going to ask you, Coach. Are you ready? I'll try. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't, I haven't talked to you about this, but I'm going to be honest with you. When Coach was on the program, we had Jim Harbaugh on twice when he was at San Diego. Coach, do you remember that? I may have. Uh, yes, I, yeah, now that I think about it, yes, he was at San Diego. Yeah, he was at San Diego, and, I mean, it was awesome interviews. It just seems like once he's gone to Michigan, he's kind of changed his way with the media. He was, like, joking and laughing, and now he's so guarded, and it's almost become kind of a, a Saturday Night Live bit with the way he's handling <laughs> questions. Has he changed, or is, is he doing a bit right now in front of the media? You know, I, I know if you heard yesterday, um, he said, you know, people say I'm quirky. And if calling, if, uh, <laughs> coaching my guys as hard as I can is quirky. Yeah. If doing great charity work in the Ann Arbor is quirky. If developing quarterbacks is quirky, if, you know, then I'm quirky. I, I would not say he's quirky. I would say Jim is complicated. Okay. And, um, you know, when he was a young guy, he was not like that. Jim – you know what Jim Harbaugh did when I coached at Michigan? What? He was my grass cutter. 
<laughs> Did he have khakis on? <laughs> no. You know, Darren, you know, my dad had a bar in Chicago, yep. and I grew up above the bar. We didn't have a yard. Then I went to college, I didn't have a yard. Then I went to the Army, and I didn't have a yard. Then I, were, I lived in an apartment, I didn't have a yard. All of a sudden, I'm in Ann Arbor, and I got a yard, and I'm walking in the football building, <laughs> and here comes Jim and um, uh, one of his uh, really close friends, uh, Phil Lewandowski, who's a orthopedic surgeon now, and they were, I said, hey, have you guys ever cut grass? <laughs> they were like, yeah. <laughs> and he said, why are you asking, coach? Well, I don't really have cut grass. Do you have a grass cutter? No. Uh, can you guys come by? Yeah, we'll get one. So they came by and they became my grass cutter. And I, I, and I love them both to death. They're both very successful. Jim's still um, in touch with Phil's. I mentioned Phil's an orthopedic surgeon. And um, just another example of being with young guys when they're 18 and 19 years old and see what they've gone on in life to do. And, um, it, you know, and I'm really fortunate. I have an honorary monogram from the University of Michigan at M but I am also have been put as a member of Holtz's Heroes. And I don't think anybody else has got that from both sides. And it's such an honor for me to be with the M guys from Michigan. And it's such an honor for me to be with Holtz's Heroes. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, sometimes I have to pinch myself and say, how did this all happen? Two of the greatest <laughs> you know, programs so. really in, in college football history. That's amazing. How old was Jim when you were there at the University of Michigan? How old was he then, roughly? How old was he? Yeah. Well, at first, probably about 10 or 11, because his dad coached with us, and then later, uh, 18. Okay. What had happened was Jim's dad, uh, Jack, who was an excellent coach in his own right, became the defensive coordinator at Stanford. And Jim was at Palo Alto High School. And we were in a staff meeting. I was the recruiting coordinator, and Jim's name was on the board and this and that. And Bo said, you know, uh, what about this Harbaugh guy? And I said, well, he's talking about maybe going to UCLA or USC. He said, no, 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 no. He said, this is how we're doing this, Bob. <laughs> you fly out there and you go see him and tell him he's coming to Michigan and I won't hear any other thing. But so Jim came to Michigan, true story. And uh, when you start out the year with Bo or any coach, you have what you call a full team meeting. Everybody is there. Everybody. They go over everything, all the rules about – Things like where to park, where you, you know, where your laundry goes, what do, the dorms. <laughs> and so the meeting starts, there's probably 140 people and there were assistant coaches and everybody. And we're about five minutes into the meeting and all of a sudden the front door opens. And it's Jim. <laughs> <laughs> five minutes late. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and you see all the old guys in the front, all the players in the front starting to shuffle in their seats like where is this going well Jim was told in no uncertain terms that he was not going to be at the meeting and to stand out in the hall maybe at attention I don't remember and <laughs> to know that a after the meeting Bo will meet with him privately mm. but that was his that was his first meeting at Michigan the other thing I remember was on Thursdays uh, one of us or two of us would go to the ticket office at Michigan and um, talk, get uh, line up tickets for high school coaches or friends and family and stuff like that. And alongside the ticket office, there was the media office. And it's not like it was just basically not an office, it was a room. And we were playing Ohio State, and uh, Jim walked in, hey, Jim, how you doing? And they started asking him questions. And that's when he guaranteed we'd beat Ohio State. <laughs>
and I was in the other room hyperventilating. <laughs> well, well, shortly thereafter, the cry went out, somebody bring Harbaugh to my office now. <laughs> but he came in, and he was totally unaffected. Well, Bo, we are going to beat him. <laughs> like, listen, they, Ohio, State, Ohio State doesn't hear, need to hear any of this. So he's, he has quite a history and, and that. And I wish him well uh, from my heart of hearts. I hope he stays. But if he doesn't, uh, if he feels whatever he's going to do for his family and his wife and his children, um, uh, I would wish him well also there. The great thing about Coach Kamel telling these Bo stories, I'm imagining all the words he's leaving out <laughs> of right. everything that he's saying. <laughs> I can imagine there might have been a couple of words you left out. Get Harbaugh in here right now. <laughs> like, oh, shucks and doggone. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Coach, it is wonderful to catch up with you. I know you were up in Ann Arbor watching the game last night so the wolverines get her done their first title since 97 and i'm sure bo's pretty proud of his old university today so coach great to catch up with you we'll have to do this again soon anytime best allison love you guys thank you thank you coach Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is former Notre Dame and Michigan coach Bob Bob Kamel joining us here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports. But yeah, Bo, I'm sure, had a pretty wide dictionary. Right, and not <laughs> for radio. <laughs> I mean, when Harbaugh's, we're going to beat Ohio State, guarantee. I can just imagine how red Bo's face got. Did they win that game? I, I don't, think they I did. don't know. Really? I think so. I should have asked, but I'm pretty sure they did. Coach Kamel actually got Bo on the program about a year before he passed away. Oh, wow. That was maybe the coolest interview I've been a part of, and I don't think I've ever been more nervous really, about an interview than having Coach Tim Beckler on the program. I'm not a Michigan fan. I root against Michigan, but I had so much respect Absolutely. for him and admired him from afar. That was an awesome interview. All right, we'll take a quick timeout, 556 at WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett with ABC 57's Allison Hayes. It is time for our Twitter question of the day. From Monday's program, which former Notre Dame player or players have the best chance to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl? Here are your four choices. You got Martin and Aubrey. For the Dallas Cowboys, Aaron Banks, starting guard for the San Francisco 49ers. You got the Aquara brothers and Brock Wright with the Detroit Lions. Or the L.A. Rams with Kyron Williams and Ben Skoranek. Boy, Kyron has been awesome ever since he became a starter with Los Angeles. Where'd he go in the fourth or fifth round? Yeah, what a steal. Wow, McVay nailed that particular pick. All right, so Allison, I'll give you a chance to vote before I give the results. Which of those Notre Dame players do you believe has the best chance to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl? Well, my heart, and I I say this because I am a Bears fan, but I fully admit I am a bandwagon jumper for the Lions. I'm all in on them. I hope they make it. But uh, I think they're a little too inconsistent right now. And that defense, while it has some big playmakers, ranked 23rd in the NFL for points allowed, and they've got a tough road to get to the Super Bowl. So I just don't. I don't think they're there just yet, but uh, so I'm going to go with my head and I'm going to say the 49ers. They're the number one seed. They got nine 
pro bowlers on the team. Um, pretty much the best team all season long. Killed Dallas and Philly. Um, other than that Ravens game, uh, they looked really good this year. So I- I'm, I'm going with the 49ers, Aaron Banks. All right, here are the results. 6.6% people who voted on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat went with the Rams with Williams and Skoranek. That Lions-Rams game, there are some juicy storylines, oh, including it. the quarterbacks being traded for each other. Third place in the voting, 8.9%, the Acora brothers and Brock Wright, hmm. the Detroit Lions. Second in the voting, 17.1% went with the Dallas Cowboys, Martin and Aubrey. I noticed Notre Dame football is claiming Aubrey as one of theirs as a pro bowler. I, yes. He was a soccer player. Right. But I guess when you have the chance to grab an extra one, sure, we'll why take not? It. Why not? He's amazing. He has not missed a kick this year. But winning the vote handily, Allison, your choice. Aaron Banks, starting guard for the San Francisco 49ers, 67.4% of the vote. Now we go to the American Football Conference for today's Twitter question of the day, which you can find again on Twitter X at 960 Sportsbeat. Which former Notre Dame player or players have the best chance to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? Here are your choices. Kyle Hamilton and Ronnie Stanley with the Baltimore Ravens. You got three Miami Dolphins, Durham Smythe. You have Chase Claypool and also Eichenberg, the offensive guard. You got Drew Tranquil with the Kansas City Chiefs and Mr. Awusu Koromoa with the Cleveland Browns. So your vote goes to? Who would even imagine that we would be talking about the Cleveland Browns going to the Super Bowl? I mean, in my lifetime, I, that is just not something I would thought I would ever hear. But uh, I'm not going with them. <laughs> I'm going with the Ravens again. They're quite possibly the best team and the best quarterback, Lamar Jackson. And he's got the best offense he's ever had around him. Uh, the defense it's so good, too. And, and special teams are just kind of top to bottom. And yep. then you look at a guy like Kyle Hamilton, 63 total solo tackles this year, three sacks, one forced fumble, four interceptions. They blew out Miami by 37 points. I just, I like it. I'm going with the Ravens. Baltimore might have to play Cleveland down the line. Miami and Kansas City will play in the first round. And the Dolphins don't win in cold weather, and it's going to be like 10 degrees in Kansas City. So I think uh, Mr. Claypool, Eichenberg, and Smythe are going to be exiting stage right pretty quick. I got to go with you, Hamilton and Stanley and the Baltimore Ravens. We'd love to get your input. Vote today. Vote tomorrow on my Twitter X account at... 960 Sportsbeat. Allison, anything you want to promote from an ABC 57 standpoint? Well, yes. Good timing, actually. Okay. We are back at it for ABC 57 tip-off. We've got two back-to-back games this week. Uh, shows. We're doing a show on both days, Saturday and Sunday, 1130 a.m. on the CW. We lead into basketball coverage on both days. The men play in a doubleheader slate, so we don't lead directly okay. into the men on Saturday, but we we do lead directly into the women's game on Sunday. We've got uh, Jordan Cornette joining us. We've nice. got Dara Mabry joining us. We've got a great special feature on Muffet McGraw and the statue. And actually, the the 
just how she made the statue, like physically how Ann Hirsch made it, uh, which is just fascinating. It's really interesting. And, and the whole process of how they make a bronze statue. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Muffet's career leading in. And then I also have a cool feature that I'm going to do on Saturday on the relationship between new Notre Dame men's basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury and current women's basketball coach Neil Ivey. They actually had a connection going back to when Jaden Ivey was playing at oh. Purdue and he was his main position coach there for the Boilermakers. So a very cool, interesting connection there. That's all coming up on the CW. Yes, on the CW. So I know it's harder to find, but keep an eye out on our social media pages because if you don't watch us live, we also will be sharing all of our stories uh, on okay. my social media and ABC 57 as well. Good to see you as always. We'll talk again next week. All right. Sounds good. That's ABC 57's Allison Hayes. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues in a couple of moments here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The home of the fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 14 minutes after 6 o'clock. Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. And by the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you're having a terrific Tuesday. We greatly appreciate you joining us here, whether it's on 960 AM WSBT the streaming live services. The Twitch app is not working tonight. We'll try to get that back going for tomorrow's program. There was one piece of Notre Dame football news today. The Fighting Irish picked up another player from the transfer portal, and he is wide receiver Jaden Harrison out of Marshall University. This is a guy at the very least that can be a big-time contributor on special teams. An elite kickoff return man. He scored three touchdowns. He's also been a factor at wide receiver in his entire career, which spans Vanderbilt and Marshall. 63 receptions for 768 yards and four touchdowns. Now, he played against the Irish in 2022, that game that Marshall beat the Fighting Irish. And Harrison, three catches for 38 yards. You think about in elite games, in massive matchups, special teams, as we all know, can make a big, big difference. And who knows, Harrison might be able to break one on a kickoff return that could be the difference in winning and losing. So 
a very nice little under-the-radar pickup by Coach Freeman and the Fighting Irish coaching staff. Again, I'm not sure if he factors into the wide receiver position. Let's say he's a backup. What he could bring on special teams to me, I think, is really, really intriguing. All right, so there you go. Jaden Harrison, wide receiver, Marshall. He is coming to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. I know the Irish are still chasing that Northwestern safety. That would be a massive add. Sounds like Michigan is in the running there. So hopefully we will have an end result to that pursuit very, very soon. All right, we are looking forward to some college basketball tonight at Purcell Pavilion. I'm sorry, down in Atlanta, not at Purcell Pavilion. I'm so used to the Irish playing at home, I apologize. Notre Dame is going to take on Georgia Tech down in Atlanta. A game that you can hear on WSBT Radio tonight, 8.30 pregame. Tony Simeone has the pregame coverage and the play-by-play starting at 9 o'clock. Let's give you a little background. Georgia Tech is 8-6 on the season under brand-new head coach Damon Stoudemire, the former college basketball and NBA star. The Yellow Jackets right now are 1-2 in the ACC. Now, their key wins this year. They have a nice victory over a pretty decent Mississippi State team, 67-59. Now, Penn State is a little down since Micah Shrewsbury left to become Notre Dame's head coach. And Tech beat Penn State 82-81, but the big, big victory for Georgia Tech so far this year against the Duke Blue Devils in their ACC opener down in Atlanta. Tech surprised the Blue Devils 72-68. Now that catches your attention like, wow, maybe these guys are a little better than their record indicates at 8-6. But, there you go, maybe not so fast, my friend, as a legendary broadcaster has said. You look at some of their losses. Georgia Tech has lost to UMass Lowell, 74-71. They lost to an okay but not great Cincinnati team. Let me. They got blown out by the Bearcats, 89-54. Georgia was able to knock off Georgia Tech. 76-62. Georgia not considered an elite SEC team. Nevada beat Georgia Tech 72-64, which has kick-started a three-game losing streak entering this matchup against the Irish. Tech lost to Florida State 82-71. They're not overwhelming. And then a tough loss at home as the Jackets were stung by Boston College 95 to 87. So as I mentioned, they've lost three consecutive games coming into this game against Notre Dame. Here is an interesting little stat. In those three losses, Georgia Tech is giving up 83 points per game. Now, what does that mean for the Fighting Irish? If you follow the Irish, you know they are offensively challenged this year. It is a team that has gotten better in the way they move the basketball, but It is still a team that has a long way to go. And as Micah Shrewsbury put it the other night after the loss to Duke, this is something that may get fixed with more recruiting in the future. We're limited in who we are as a team offensively, currently as constructed. 
we're limited. Um, we'll grow. We'll keep getting better. Um, but like, you know, that, I think that's the thing is is how much that changes this year. Like, we get a little bit better at, in our execution. I think we got to be a little better in our execution. What we're doing, having everybody on the same page, so our focus got to be better offensively. Um, and then from night to night, like guys have off nights sometimes, but like my effort can't be off. My focus can't be off. My discipline can't be off. My, my shot might be off, but the other stuff can't be. And that's where, uh, you know, sometimes we'll go roller coaster with that. Honest analysis from the head coach of the Fighting Irish, Micah Shrewsbury. Now, the one thing this Georgia Tech team. They've got some pretty good assets on offense. Three players score in double figures, led by a 6'6 player in Miles Kelly, averaging a tick under 15 points per game and 5.8 rebounds. Then you've got a transfer from Florida, 6'7", Kowasi Reeves Jr., 12.5 points per game, 4.6 rebounds. He is a key player to know because he is really – the main three-point threat on this Georgia Tech team, Reeves hits 41.4% of his threes. The team from the three-point line, the Jackets only shooting 29.4%. With the way Notre Dame defends, you hope this can be a good matchup for the Irish. So you got the transfer from Florida in Reeves to go along with a good-looking freshman, he has won the ACC Rookie of the Week Award three times this year. He's 6'9 by Indongo. He is from the Senegal, and he is averaging 12.3 points and 9.2 rebounds a ball game. So definitely someone that Jai will match up with inside for the Fighting Irish. Now, a couple of notes on Georgia Tech. This might be a couple of concerning statements and stats surrounding this matchup from a Notre Dame perspective. Georgia Tech has out-rebounded 10 of 14 opponents this year. They have posted a 36-24 rebound advantage in their most recent game against Boston College. Now, Tech is plus 5.9 rebounding this season. That is number three in the ACC and number 67 nationally. We got to bring this up because Notre Dame did not rebound the ball well enough in the second half against NC State. The Wolfpack had 13 offensive rebounds in the second half. Oh, by the way, Georgia Tech, one of the best offensive rebounding teams this year. They had 11 offensive rebounds against Boston College, resulting in 11 second chance points. They are averaging. 13.6 offensive rebounds per ball game that leads the ACC and it ranks Georgia Tech 24th nationally. So there's a good place to begin as you start watching this game tonight or listening on WSBT radio to the Irish and the Jackets. How well is Notre Dame rebounding the basketball against a really good board team in particular on the offensive glass? You just can't let Georgia Tech get on the offensive glass the way the Irish allowed NC State last week. For Notre Dame, the Irish are 6-9. and nine. They are 1-3 in conference play. Now, all-time against Georgia Tech, the Irish are 15-13 and 13 and have won seven 
of the last nine. For Notre Dame, they are not familiar with their road blues. They have not worn them very much this year. This is their first road game since early December, and Notre Dame is 0 of 3 on the road so far this year. Honestly, not surprising considering you have such a brand-new basketball team coming together. Now, the Irish defense, I think we can all agree, is a highlight of this team. Micah Shrewsbury telegraphed it when he was hired and early on in the process. He wanted a physical, tough-minded basketball team that was going to dig in on the defensive end of the floor or you weren't going to play. And despite their offensive struggles and our frustration at times not being able to close out games, this team has answered the bell for the most part defensively this year. This is a reason why they have had chances to win games against better opponents, like, for example, Duke. You know, they had a chance to beat NC State. Couldn't get it done. But the defense right now giving up 64.9 points per game. Notre Dame is second in scoring defense in the ACC, and they are 45th in Division I college basketball. Defense is the backbone of the rebuilding of this program. Even when this program gets rolling again, I guarantee you Mike is going to have this team playing really good defensive basketball. Now, Coach Shrewsbury has gone with the same starting lineup each of the last four games with Burton, Konezny, Davis, Booth, and Jai. I guess I'm assuming that's going to be the five that will go tonight against Georgia Tech. So, Despite Notre Dame's uneven play this year, this would go into the category of one of the games that you're hoping that Notre Dame can steal. I think we started talking at the start of the year if this team can win five, six, seven ACC games, considering all the changes and the restarting of the program. You know, that wouldn't be too bad. They've got one win in their back pocket. You play Georgia Tech twice every year. That's one of those traditional matchups. In the ACC scheduling rotation, we'll see every year. These are the type of games, if they're going to get to six or seven wins, you got to steal one at Georgia Tech. A good team. They've beaten a really good team in Duke, but they've also lost to UMass Lowell and Georgia and Nevada and Florida State and Boston College. And where is their confidence level coming into this matchup, having lost three consecutive games? But this is a winnable game for the Notre Dame basketball team, but can they get the job done on the road? Pre-game coverage, 8.30, opening tip, 9 o'clock, the Irish and the Jackets here on Sports Row. You don't know how to play first base. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Every time you play one off your hips, you owe me 40 sit-ups on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey, you guys. Don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. You lollygag the ball around the end. You know what that makes you. Hurry. Good to be back with you. 634 in your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960. WSBT streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app. We've got Eric Hansen back on the program tomorrow. The publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. He'll be with me to talk some Fighting Irish football. 
We'll get his thoughts on the national championship game from Monday night, Michigan taking down Washington 34-13. So Eric and I will have a nice conversation tomorrow during the 5 o'clock hour. Sports Beat on the air each night, of course, from 5 to 7 here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I will tell you that there will not be a Sports Beat on Thursday. I'll be traveling with the Irish hockey team as we attempt to get to Columbus, the Irish and Ohio State. We'll play some college hockey Friday and Saturday nights. Friday's game will be at 7 o'clock. We just found out this afternoon that Saturday's game has been moved to an 8 o'clock opening face-off. Both games will be heard on our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3 FM. I had to play that bad news Bears slash baseball movie montage bumper to start this segment because I'm hoping it might act as smelling salts for the Chicago Cubs front office, major market, boatloads of money. They have done nothing so far outside of picking up a Rockies backup catcher and adding him to their 40-man roster. It has been an awkwardly quiet offseason. Now, supposedly, they pursued Shohei Otani. It doesn't sound like there was mutual interest. So we're all assuming that now Jed Hoyer is changing the direction of what he wants to do to Cody Bellinger. The Cubs made a brilliant move last offseason, taking a chance on a player who had been down the last couple of years with the Dodgers after being a National League Most Valuable player. Bellinger came back and had an awesome 2023. Bellinger, a big reason why the Cubs almost made it, maybe should have made the postseason last year. A left-handed bat with power, getting on base, plays a really good center field, can play first base, an extremely valuable commodity. The problem is, his agent is Scott Boris. And Scott Boris is the agent of all agents in Major League Baseball. He loves to drag out negotiations. Wouldn't be surprising if Bellinger doesn't sign until February, right before spring training. He's trying to get every dollar possible for his client. And you would have to imagine the Cubs are in on the bidding right now for Bellinger. There are reports that the Toronto Blue Jays, who were the bridesmaid for Shohei Otani, they are trying to make up for that loss by getting Bellinger. Now, I'm sure Bellinger wants a seven, eight-year deal. Is that a major risk considering He's had one good year over the last few. But the one year last year was difference-making good. So you have to think about, is this guy going to match these numbers going forward? And if you give this guy seven, eight years at over $200 million, does that make you a little nervous about going down that road? I'm sure it does. The Cubs have plenty of money to throw around if, the Bellinger thing doesn't work out three, four years down the line. They'll have plenty of money to offset that and make another move. But it sure seems like this is a major part of the offseason. If you don't get Bellinger, do you look at the Cubs being as good as last year? And that's a big part of the lineup gone if he does not re-sign. I have a feeling it all works out in the end. The Cubs have to bring Bellinger back. 
but do they also pivot in another direction? There's a Cy Young award-winning pitcher from last year and a two-time winner in Blake Snell from the San Diego Padres that is still available. Is that a direction the Cubs may go? They still have a lot of contact pitchers in the rotation. Snell could be more of that strikeout guy that they're looking for. This is an extremely winnable National League Central for the Chicago Cubs. If they exercise a little financial muscle, this is a team that would be considered the favorite in the division. I mean, look where we are right now. The Milwaukee Brewers had that Woodruff-Burns combination at the top of the rotation. Woodruff is a free agent, has to have some surgery, maybe had the surgery already. He's not coming back. They have an offense that's going to be adding a very talented rookie that they're excited about in the outfield, but is there enough pop in the middle of their lineup? The Brewers don't look like a ferocious contender. The Cincinnati Reds have all those young players who quieted down a little bit as the season went on. But with De La Cruz and McLean, this is a really intriguing team. They've added some pitching, trying to go along with some really good young starting pitching that they believe they have. They might be the favorite in the division. You look at the St. Louis Cardinals, a perennial team with a winning record, won 71 games last year, a major hiccup for this proud organization and they've added 95 million dollars worth of starting pitching but it's Sonny Gray, Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. Sonny Gray as your number one starter with Miles Michael is two and maybe Kyle Gibson is three. Is that going to be enough to win the division? They like their offense. They've got a lot of parts to choose from. Good young players But do they have enough starting pitching? That's why they stunk last year. And I know I speak for all us Cardinal fans. Cardinals haven't done enough. If Sonny Gray and Kyle Gibson were their second and third best pitchers added and there was a much better pitcher brought in, I think everybody would be doing somersaults. But Gray, Gibson, and Lynn is not going to electrify the fan base. In fact, Sonny Gray in the heat – In a pennant race, is he going to be up to the challenge? He went to the Yankees, and it did not work there. He's won in Minnesota. He's won in Kansas City. Can he win in St. Louis? Won in Cincinnati, but they weren't very good. That's a big question mark for me. So this NL Central is really fascinating. So nothing from the Cubbies as of yet. This afternoon, one more NFL head coach lost a job. This is a shocker to me. Mike Vrabel was let go by the Tennessee Titans, six seasons with the Titans. He has been dealing with not having a great quarterback in particular this year. It really was a mess. Made the playoffs three times early on in his tenure. Missed the last two years. And I think it was a surprising move that the Titans walked away from Vrabel. And if the New England Patriots and their relationship with their soon-to-be Hall of Fame coach, Bill Belichick. Vrabel was a linebacker with the Patriots. Is that going to be the type of fit New England is looking for? It sure seems like it. I know the old offensive coordinator under Belichick, Josh McDaniels, was a visitor at the Patriots game last week. But Vrabel being let go by Tennessee four consecutive winning seasons to start his tenure 
And I know the last two years were frustrating, but look at the quarterback play. Nothing Vrabel could do there. And this is going to be an altering offseason for the Titans. They're all everything running back the face of their franchise. Derrick Henry, he's probably going to be finding a new home. The Titans are going to look a whole lot different in 2024. And you better get it right because the Colts feel really good about Anthony Richardson at quarterback. And C.J. Stroud, boy, he looks the part with the Texans with a really good young coach and DeMarco Ryans. And we'll see about Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence seemed to take a mini step back this year. The Jaguars faded down the stretch and missed the postseason, allowing the Texans to win the division title. So Tennessee's not careful if they don't make the right choice. There's a couple of teams ready to kind of take control of this division the old AFC South. All right, coming up on tomorrow's program, mentioned Eric's going to be with me, Mike Singer talking Notre Dame football recruiting. We'll start to look at the NFL playoffs and more Budweiser's weekday sports beat tomorrow night from 5 to 7 here on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And don't forget, Irish basketball coming up, 8.30 pregame, 9 o'clock tip. It's Notre Dame at Georgia Tech on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 